Hey, Jake? Yeah? What did ducks have with cheese? I don't know. Quackers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Engage, a family gaming podcast. This is episode 174, and I am your host, Stephen Dutzman. This is the official video game and board game podcast for EngageFamilyGaming.com. EFG is a website where parents like myself and my co-host come together to give everyone the information they need to get their family game on. This week is a very special week. Uh, not only am I joined by my regular permanent co-host, Amanda Farrow, the CEO of like 47 websites, Princess of Power. I love it that um, you're now introducing me like a speci- Shira. That, that just, that delights me. Um, I'm, I like uh, nicknames and uh, code names, um, so you get to be the Princess of Power. But most importantly, um, editor-in-chief of superparent.com. That's the one that's relevant because this podcast is produced in partnership with superparent.com. Um, but but we are also joined um, from the other side of Amanda's <laughs> office by uh, Mike Footer. The uh, you've done a lot. You do all I sorts do. of stuff. Why don't you just say what you have sure. done and well, why sorry, you are currently, here? Currently, I am a freelance writer. I write for GameDaily.biz. Hey, uh, I know that website. That's that's the other website that Amanda is the EIC of. I um, I have somehow managed to earn myself the title of tabletop editor at Super Parent. Um, I started uh, writing some some tabletop stuff for fun. Wrote a big holiday guide, and then we just kind of spiraled that into, hey, we should we should keep doing this thing. Um, I have a monthly column on Variety called In Game Economy. This is the other big thing that I had like the business writing. Uh, so I have a, a business-related column on Variety. I write weekly for Game Daily. I write features for Game Daily, um, and I've written for Polygon, Mashable. Uh, prior to that, I wrote two books: the Game Dev Business Handbook and the Game Dev Budgeting Handbook. And before that, I was the news editor at Game Informer. Um, so, which is how I became aware of who you were, because I used to listen to that podcast, and you were on it every once in a while, and your dog. You know that, that was the big time. joke when when Harrison had me on back when the podcast was a fully audio affair once a week. Um, it he would jokingly say that you know news editor Mike Footer and his dogs were going to be on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, it's mostly ads. And it was and. <laughs> And I was like, wow, dog dog barking, it never bothered me. I thought it yeah. was hysterical. Um, and um, and then I followed you on Twitter, and then one day you were like, hey, everybody should join this Discord, because this lady that I know... <laughs> lady um, that I know, in quotes. I mean, I more My or less, partner. that's how you said it. And then I... That's not... You didn't well, say that. The, the, the tweet you sent did not say that, and trust me, I stepped in it for a few seconds, but Amanda set me straight. It was fine. Um, and then I joined this, the Discord, and now your partner, Amanda, is one of my very best friends mm-hmm. on Earth. Um, so thank you for being pseudo-internet famous so I could eventually make friends uh, with now, your partner. You know what? That, that, is, that is her magic. Because she is wonderful. That's a round of. And you guys are gonna speaking make me of, cry. Oh, well, she's a princess speaking of, of power. Speaking of pseudo internet famous, boy, do I have to talk to you after this podcast about what happened today. But that's not for oh, this podcast. That's oh, a thing. Yeah. Um, that's not for this podcast. Um, this that's a 
No. That's not for this one. So that's an offline thing. So, all right, folks, here's what the deal is. Last week, I promised you that we were not going to talk about video games again because normally we alternate, right? We do the video game thing, we do the board game thing, but we did two video game episodes in a row because for some reason, Sony and Microsoft decided to announce console stuff out of the blue. Oh, um, the Xbox and we couldn't sad. not. No. <laughs> the Xbox ad. So, so we couldn't not talk <laughs> about those things. But, I mean, listen, I think that's going to, that. my, my, after a week of thinking about it, I think the Xbox One SAD is going to be awesome in two years when they've dropped the price by 100 bucks. I don't think it's even going to take so, that. I mean, I know we're not supposed to be talking about video games, so I think E3, the price equalization is going to happen, and it'll be fine. But we'll talk about yeah. it next week, you guys. I mean, Maybe Mike will come back could next be. week, too. With that said, <laughs> sure. So here we are. It is um, board game week, and so we're going to talk a little bit about War of the Spark, which is the new expansion for Magic the Gathering, because uh, it has been fully spoiled, and they showed off some very interesting things that they are doing, um, and they have a book coming out. Is it an art book? That is coming... There is no, a, a book no book. it is a novelization, a novelization of yeah. War of the Spark that is going to arrive at my home on Ooh. Thursday. Um, and even more important, well, we're going to talk about that in a moment. And then we're also, uh, the reason Mike is here, um, outside of the fact that it, he's a guest that's easy to easy to get on because he sits across from Amanda, <laughs> um, literally. Um, so, like, what else was he going to do? Um, he's sitting there anyway. Um, is that he is writing a massive, months-spanning many thousand word guide to X-Wing. Now X-Wing long term long time fans of the show know that we talked about the original version of X-Wing ad nauseum in the very beginning. We talked about because uh, those who might remember the professor Ben Foster loved him some X-Wing, regretted him some X-Wing because once you once you pop you can't stop with that game. However, We're that one out. um yeah, you guys are finding that out. Um whatever, I play magic, I can't hate. So he um, but there's a new version, right? So we're at 2.0, and so Mike is an expert, and he is writing guides and all sorts of content, and so he volunteered to come on here and help explain kind of what some sure. of the differences are. Uh, do you want to jump into that now? No. See, this is why I asked we need to. Yeah, I know. It's cool. So now, but before we do that, we got to go around the horn. Um, so what that means, Mike, is we talk about games mm-hmm. that we've played, Um the only game that I have played that is of consequence is um, I have played this little game called Rubik's Race. Like the cube? Have either of you heard of like Rubik's Race? Oh, bro, you don't even know. I'm about to shatter your entire I'm so dimension. so bad I had one. Check out. But I was terrible. No, it's, it has nothing to do okay. with a Rubik's Cube. Guys, do we have Rubik's Race anywhere that we can grab? Oh, uh, they're playing Fortnite. Okay. I can't get them. So, um, okay. You know those puzzles that are like a series of tiles on a, on a square field where there's one empty space yeah, 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 and you can yeah. slide them all sure, around? Yeah. Picture one of those, but all of the squares are colored like a Rubik's Cube. Okay. Okay. I'm not done. And then on the... And so um, picture two of those connected to each other, like two of those squares connected in the middle with a like panel up in the middle kind of like battleship only instead of with like pegs to put battleships you have two of those little puzzles with the tiles with the the colors etc specifically four of each rubik's cube color 
on each of those fields. Now, it comes with one of, a mini boggle cube that has a three by three grid and some cubes in it. Here's how this works. You shake the little boggle cube, you let the cubes that are in it settle, and it will create a three by three pattern of colors so slide the tiles around from a Rubik's pattern. thing. And then you shake it, put it down in the middle of you, and the two of you have to race to create that three by three pattern in the center of your board. The person who completes that race first slams the little divider uh -huh. down on your side and then can verify it. If you do that, you win. And it is a race. This game is devilish. It is also only $12 or something on Amazon. Yeah, this sounds um, like a mass market. A, a clever mass market. Oh, it's a really, really smart game. My only criticisms for this game, and I've talked about this. We did an unboxing kind of thing. Uh, we did we talk about it on the Sunday Night Unboxing? Yeah, we talked about it on the Sunday Night Unboxing, which we do on our uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash EngageFamilyGaming, uh, every Sunday night at 6-ish. I don't know, whenever we get the kids to calm down and open up boxes of stuff. Um, but the my only criticism is that it's not assembled. You know how normally you get like Battleship and all the pieces just yeah, kind of fit together and they hold yeah. everything together? This piece is not that way. They are three separate components that come apart and the tiles are not built in. Oof. Now, I've done some reading, and it turns out that that was an intentional design decision to avoid it breaking from too much use. Because the problem is, if they're permanently sure. stuck together, eventually, like, the channel locks yeah. break. It's kind of like, you know, flooring that you're always mm -hmm. moving around. <coughs> the way they are now, they don't break. So, um, so that's the advantage. Um, I... I at the end of the day, if the way the components are put together, the end result is that it's twelve dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh no, whatever. Our thing broke. Um, we have to buy another twelve dollar game. Yeah, or or you lose a tile. I mean, that's the big issue. But my solution, or the solution we have used, is we just grabbed a gallon size Ziploc bag and shoved everything in that, and then put that in the box, and we're all good. Um, we are planning. A uh, several YouTube videos of us That's playing this game so for the Engaged Family Gaming YouTube channel. Oh, I am. It's surprising because it is surprisingly good content, especially if people are this talking trash. E um, <laughs> yeah, it, oh my gosh, Rubik's Race Esports. Um, listen, if people want to bet on it, I mean, or invest in, in one of us as a team, I don't know, we can make it work. So it's really good, especially for under $15. Um, it's also really good for people that don't like games um, or don't like themed games. Um, so it kind of fits in as like an abstract kind of game uh, experience. Um, my middle son, Jake, really doesn't like, well, you're a wizard or you're people trying to solve a disease. Like he really just wants to like have a thing that he does and just doesn't. And so as a result, he, really, he kind of digs Rubik's Race for that. Um, with that said... This is one of those games that if you're not good at the slide puzzles, you're owned. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can't do those puzzles, oh, no. because you have to be able to think in those shapes. Like, if you can't do it, you're terrible. For example, any ideas who's really bad at those? This okay. guy. Um, so I challenge people, and I just get absolutely roasted. Um, no, it's terrible. Um, the two of them are arguing now over who's better or worse. But um, our, our oldest is actually quite good. And mommy is the best, because of course mommy is the best. Um, do you mind? Peanut gallery. Um, so. I like peanuts. 
This is what happens when you record a podcast with a 10-year-old in the room and then talk about him. I guess I did that to okay. myself. So that's Rubik's Race. Um, it's really it good. Sounds good. It's really good, guys. For exa- Especially for what it is. You know what I mean? Sometimes you get a game and like it has no right to be as good as it is. Yeah, usually it's the opposite. Um, and that's... The age of Kickstarter, but... Oof. Oof. Speaking of Kickstarters, did 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 Amanda tell you the craziness? I saw some of it. I didn't get a chance to tell three them. three projects, and one of them had been fully funded. And yeah. That's Kickstarter yeah. So, taking, taking a big stand like they don't usually, and I'm, I'm kind of curious to talk to yeah. our contact there so, and find out what happened. So, so for folks listening, this, is, this could be a fun... It could result in a fundamental shift in the way Kickstarter works. Essentially, or how different companies use it, um, Kickstarter has a rule, and we've talked about Kickstarter before. If you're new to the podcast, it's a self, it's a crowdfunding platform, kind of like GoFundMe. Only um, you put up a creative idea, and people more or less pre-order. Yeah, but Kickstarter. Um, I mean, Kickstarter you try and get your game funded. Kickstarter is not a store. The important thing is that board games, because of the way that you can manufacture prototypes, you can get those out. In fact, we have a prototype I need to talk about. Um, in fact, I can talk about it. I played it. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, you know, you can get prototype out to reviewers, so when you launch your Kickstarter, you actually have reviews on day one from big board game content creators. Video games can't do that, and I think it's a big reason why video game Kickstarters have kind of trailed off, and board game Kickstarters have, have, have seen a huge uptick. The other thing is, a lot yeah. of times they know what their stretch goals are. These, these campaigns are managed so excellently that really what they're trying to do is figure out what the optimal manufacturing run is for these things, as opposed yep. to will it, won't it. Because most of these, especially because you've got companies like IDW Games, which is tied to IDW, the comic company. You've got uh, Cool Mini or Not, which has done a bunch of games. You've got AEG, which does, which is a huge board game company that does Kickstarters. Renegade does huge Kickstarters. Um, so you've got all these yeah. established companies that are still using Kickstarter, not in the way we originally envisioned Kickstarter was going to be used. They are kind of like a pre-order with a bunch of bonuses. But yeah. what happened this weekend? And so they, they have a rule, Kickstarter does, that says that you may not have multiple campaigns running at the same time. Now, their interpretation of running includes from the time that the campaign goes live to the time products are delivered. That's not um, how I've ever understood that to be applied. Wait. Oh, this wait. is, yeah, this gets better. Bro, bro, uh-huh. let me finish. Because, boy, I think I have a couple so, from, uh, uh, a couple of tiny Epic well, games. So, so, to, that is technically, to the letter, how their policy works. That is not how they have and ever they have not enforced, enforced it. that in video games either, because that was the big issue with Double Fine when they ran the uh, Massive Chalice campaign, and then right after yep. that campaign closed, they delayed Broken Age. So even going back to 2012, and then there were a bunch of board games again. I love Tiny Epic games; they always deliver on their stuff. But man, we backed yeah. Tiny Epic Mechs. And that hasn't delivered yet. And then they ran a campaign for Tiny Epic Tactics, which just closed last month. Yeah. yeah. And so, and that's a sta- that's a common practice. I think the other thing with board games is that, that there have been so many successful and wildly successful um, campaigns that they have real data. So, like, they know what's the ideal length of a campaign. What, like, uh-huh. they know. 
and have crunched the numbers, which you can't really do on no. some other stuff. Um, so because of that, there are companies like Simon, Cool Mini or not, who have built an entire business model around I do yep. a Kickstarter, I get a bunch of money in, that's my cash flow, I use that to operate my business, and then I put up another Kickstarter in six yeah. months. What's crazy about that is, um, on, that's technically against Kickstarter's rules because what they don't want is for people to be putting up a bunch of Kickstarters, getting a bunch of money, and then have and not being able to manage sure, all their sure. campaigns. The issue is obviously Cool Mini or Not can do that because they have a massive logistics yep. team and they have done this for years, so they're not the same level of risk as say if if the three of us decided. And it's like to IDW, do it. I think. Is another one where Splat Attack hadn't delivered when, uh, which is a Nickelodeon game, hadn't delivered when they ran the yep. second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles campaign for Cityfall. Correct, and and that up until this weekend was never a concern. This weekend on Saturday or Friday night, the weekend time, it might have even been late Thursday, but over the course of the weekend ish. Um, there were two campaigns that were canceled by Kickstarter, and a third one that was, I don't know if canceled is the right word, but it has, was a campaign that was completed Nukes and funded, Marvel. and then they just shut it down, and ref and it was before charges, I think it was before charges were taken from accounts. I don't know, a I saw the days. refund uh, Were there refunds? Okay, um, I understand, I, I heard that it was before, but fine. They were sending money back, and... No one really this knows was, this, the, this all game of the was answers. Right? Uh, I think so. I'm not sure the names of all the games, and I don't necessarily want to throw any of them around. Like, I don't want to throw sure. the names around because I don't know that. Because what I don't want to do is provide any, like, make people feel negatively about sure. these games. Because I think the issue is everybody was playing by the same rules. It looks like Kickstarter has started to quietly enforce what was a. Um, kind of, it was a written rule that they weren't necessarily, you know, kind of even following themselves. One thing that does add an extra layer to this is that uh, two of the campaigns were obviously running at the same time, and Colossal, which is a publishing mm -hmm. company, was involved in both of them. And so, technically, you can't have two comp two Kickstarters going at the same time under uh -huh. the same company. So that could have been like a weird technicality that tri triggered some stuff. It's very possible that these campaigns will go live again on Monday, and we'll never, you know, and it might not be an issue. But um, I know those companies are working with Kickstarter right now, and what I've seen from some of their postings and comments in various Facebook groups is that they're not really getting anywhere, um, and I'm seeing some movement where a lot of folks are like, well, if Kickstarter's going to operate like this, then we'll do, um, it's going to be like the Nintendo seal of approval, like, Got it. we'll just open more than one company, or um, they'll just have yeah, one so go what through doing Kickstarter, is and then another people. one go through Indiegogo. Yeah, they're going to send these people to ground, have and then, honestly, that's not going to result in the best possible, it, it, that's, like, that's not going to work not. How, they, how they think it's going to work. I don't think so, um, because if because the reality is they need both big pub like the big publishers go there because there's lots of people on the site, be, you know, buying board games. But a lot of those people are there because of the glut of kind of mid tier titles. Let, Mike, and so if that symbiotic relationship goes away, that takes the bottom out from all the little creators who just want their five thousand dollars so they can get a print run done so that they can get their game published by somebody else. It's going to be, this will be really interesting to watch right, in the next two months. I think my question here, though, and this is the first question I would ask in an interview to my contact at Kickstarter, 
is you guys approve all of these projects before they go live. What what part of the process fell apart here? Well, it's an automated it's process. Not an entirely automated process. I mean, my I mean, when I I launched one very briefly for Engage Family Gaming six years ago, and it was sure as hell automated. Okay. But then again, that was, but but I'm sure that there is some manual stuff yeah, involved, at least somewhere. It could be that it's approved, and then somebody has you know they have a twenty you know X amount of hour window yeah, to right. to double check the system but in case they things also get know weird. what's running. And, and and my question kind of gravitates over to a, a campaign that was run successfully funded and. Based on the word refund that I saw floating around, you know, charge. Sure. So if you don't use Kickstarter, I think the important thing to understand here is the timeline of, of how this works. You know, a campaign is is approved. The draft page goes live. Sometimes that gets sent to reviewers. Like I've seen projects in draft before. The project goes live, uh -huh. runs for a set period of time, usually between like uh -huh. 20 and 30 days. And, yep. you know, assuming it funds and it overfunds, then there's stretch goals that are unlocked, project closes, and you're not charged immediately. Because a lot of times what will happen, back in the old days, you were charged immediately. Um, yeah. Oh, no, you are charged immediately. Hold on, I'm sorry. You are charged immediately by Kickstarter. You might not be charged for everything because they have to use the survey to deal with shipping costs. Sometimes they use uh, external services like Backerkit. So then you're going in, you're potentially buying add-ons, you're potentially buying... Um, so yeah, if the project closed, they were there were obviously refunds that needed to happen because they get charged immediately by Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, it's... You might not have gone through a backer. It's, it's a very interesting... Or a pledge manager process. Yeah, it's... it's it's interesting to see you're because you're you are right. And I'm just thinking about my other Kickstarters that I've done in the last couple of months, and all of them were funded. All of them took their money from me within minutes <laughs> of the campaign closing. Like the so only right. one that hasn't charged um, right away is I backed this um really cool book of RPG maps that we bought it's that so too. Cool, right? And I bought all the sticker pages and because I think I just thought it that was super really awesome. baller. Um, we were that super was the only excited one that for that. For some reason, didn't charge for like a couple of days, but like Life Siphon by Lay Waste Games closed, and like there's ninety dollars for your metal yeah. version of that. Yeah, because that game is yeah. sick. I don't know if you've played. If I have played not, but I'm a huge you? Dragoon fan. So, and this is this game's yeah. the sequel to Dragoon. Uh, no, they've, they've they've actually confirmed that it is the sequel to Dragoon. It's yeah, the sequel. So, okay, they didn't confirm that to me. I talk to them every it show. Was in the, it was anyway, in the I'm not trying. They're like, oh, the dragons. You know, the dragons from Dragoon have, have taken over the I, taken over the surface, dri driving humanity underground. Uh, you know what? I I read it too quickly. Um. I have a, a, de a demo copy in, in oh, the nice. other room. Um, I played the game. I didn't... They sent me the wacky box with, like, the, the confetti oh, in nice. it and everything. It made a huge mess. Um, but the... Yeah, isn't Dragoon yes. great? Um, so, I could go on and on about Dragoon. But maybe what we should do, because um, here we are 24 minutes in and we haven't gotten to our topic yet. Um, let's talk about... Um, let's talk about uh, okay. X-Wing. That's the reason for the season, as it were. Oh, oh, oh. So, and why? Starfighters. Yeah, it's a, well. I mean, it's a really good year to make Star Wars yeah. stuff. I think. It, it really um. Is. So, what's the deal with X Wing Two Point? So, well, like, I mean, why does it exist? Is my first question. Let's kind of pull back just in case people haven't don't aren't familiar with X Wing at all. Um, X Wing is a tabletop miniatures game, so it is in the same class of game that Warhammer 
and bones. Well, are we talking Warhammer today? Oh, there she is! <laughs> <laughs> uh, bones and War Machine and, you know, so all those, those tabletop miniature games with the intricate uh, mm-hmm. terrain and stuff. Except, uh, unlike those games, the X-Wing miniatures, Fantasy Flight leans toward the mass market end of the... Yeah boutique video uh, boutique board game spectrum uh so these are fully assembled fully painted minis representing iconic and some less iconic ships in the star wars universe i would i think the star wars fans would like to believe that all of their they ships are, not. are iconic. i i'm sorry but there are a lot of ships that are simply not iconic there are a ton of iconic ships but i'm i don't disagree i'm just i'm speaking for <laughs> The Star Wars fans, because Lord knows they don't talk enough. <laughs> so, uh, haven't been on the internet this year. Was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm I, that was a that was that's what we here call a joke, uh, sir. Uh, 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 Amanda laughed, so she I, got it. I'm all uh, oh, yeah. She's used to so my humor. X Wing X Wing originally came out as that the full name was X Wing Miniatures Game. They've shortened that to X Wing now, and. The starter set, which is still very similar, comes with one X-Wing and two TIE Fighters. And the options... Is that balanced? Because there's six hull. So hit points are called hull. There are three hull on a TIE Fighter. There are four hull on an X-Wing, but it also has two shields. So it can take six hits. Okay. Um, Those hits aren't exactly the same on an X-Wing because of the shields, but that's that's higher-level strategy stuff. So... But it's about as balanced as you can get. With right. Only and so the way the ships. game works is, um, just a, a quick overview is, it's a simultaneous movement planning game. So instead of I make my, move my ships, then you move your ships, there's a level, there's a phase that goes before that called the planning phase. So we have these little dials. In fact, well, I, I could show you, but it wouldn't translate to the podcast. No, it wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> so there are these little dials that, that, in, that have on them all the possible maneuvers that a ship could do. It can fly straight, it can bear left, it can bear right, it can do a hard bank left or hard bank right, it can do uh, a U-turn, essentially, or it can do, like, one of those cool slides that Vipers did in Battlestar Galactica. Um, and Those Vipers like, were so awesome, They though. were. The, that, the, the ship battles in that in that show mm, were... They were just... Unbelievable. Blah. We're almost ready for a rewatch, I think. Um, so you plan, and what you do is you put your dials down next to your ships each ship has each pilot has their own initiative it's noted by an orange number on the ship token and you move you reveal your token you reveal your movement dials in ascending order of of initiative so lowest orange number to biggest orange number and then in the next phase you shoot from highest so you like highest initiative to lowest initiative so Ultimately, what you're doing is you you have to think about not only where your ship is in space, which is on a 2D plane, um, and but you have to think about what your what your opponent might do. So there's a lot of a lot of cerebral stuff that goes on. You also have to consider like, am I going to move before they are? And if we're too close, there's rules for how you deal with ship movement if they're going to overlap their their little square bases. And so the game was always good. Like, I, I really loved the game when it started, but one of the things that started to happen quickly is you ran into um, a problem that Wizards of the Coast has somehow managed to avoid in the 2030... How many years is Magic now? 25? 25, 25 plus. In the 25 years, a lot of 
a lot of collectible games that have a long lifespan run into what's called power creep, which is the way that they they make bigger they make ships really interesting is they make them more powerful than the ships that came before. And the, that happened with X-Wing 1.0, and part of the problem was that all of the stats were printed right on the card. So their point cost, so the way these things work is you, you assemble a, a squad of ships and pilots and upgrades that reach trying to reach a threshold for 2.0, it's 200 points. I think it was 100 in, in 1.0. So you're, you're attempting to create a squad around a certain point cost. So the X-Wing that that released at the very beginning of 1.0 always had, those pilots always had the same cost in that ship, and then they kept adding ships. What they've done in 2.0 is they've taken the point costs off all the cards, they've taken the stats, essentially all the stats with the exception of the firing arc, which tells you like, you know, where you can shoot, and the initiative number off of the tokens that go on the base, and everything is handled by a desktop or mobile app now. And that allows them to do two things. It allows them to tweak and scale, not only when new ships come out, but also if they find out that something is under-costed or over-costed and isn't getting played enough because they look at all this data from their, their organized play, and they adjust the cost. The other thing they can do is there are some upgrades that are more expensive when you put them on a ship with higher initiative. So that you can't just say, I'm gonna take this pilot that has an initiative of six which is a very high, which is a pretty high initiative, and then I'm just going to load them up with upgrades, and they're just going to be low cost upgrades, the same cost. Where if you put that on a ship that had an initiative of one or two or three, so they so the app scales all these things. The app is not perfect. The desktop app is a little bit better, but of course it's not as as handy as just doing it all on your phone or on your tablet. The other thing they added in 2.0, which was completely absent from 1.0, is the force. How do you have a Star Wars game without the Force? How do you have <laughs> Luke Skywalker flying his X-Wing without, like, turning off his targeting computer and just using the Force to get those proton torpedoes into the exhaust vent, right? Because magic, magic makes things complicated. Right. So it does. But now there are upgrades that are related to the Force and that allow you to do things like reroll dice. Or you can use the, a force token to re-roll dice whenever you want. So, but they're limited and they recharge very slowly. Um, and then there are some abilities, and there are some crew members that you can add to larger ships that have the force. So there's some really cool things that they've done. Um, the other thing that they've done is uh, when X-wing 1.0 launched, there was the rebellion, there was the empire, and then along the way they added scum and villainy. So when Boba Fett's Slave One launched. It was actually an Imperial ship. It was not a scum and villainy ship. Yeah. So when they launched 2.0, they had to figure out, like, okay, well, how are we, A, not going to piss off all of the people who've been playing this game, and B, what do we do that's new and different in, in addition to the little things? Like, the Force is not... It's not a huge thing. Um, I mean, it makes a difference, but it's not, like, a sweeping thing. So what they did was... They release these conversion kits. So all of your ships, if you buy these conversion kits, all of your ships from 1.0 now suddenly work with 2.0. You just box up all your 1.0 stuff and put it away, with the exception of a couple of tokens, um, a couple of like the the asteroid tokens or like the bomb tokens. All the little tokens in the game have now been streamlined and have some um, interesting design. So like all the circular tokens clear at the end of the at the end of the round. 
So you know if there's a circular token on it. It wasn't always like that. They were all they, some they were all different shapes and stuff. Okay. Um they split up the factions. So they released a second core set somewhere during 1.0 when Force Awakens came out. So it was mm-hmm. the X-wing T70, which was which is Poe's ship, uh, which is the new X-wings for the for the Resistance and the new Tie Fighters. So the Tie Fighter, um, I think they're the FOs, the First Order Tie Fighters. So, uh, but the Resistance and the First Order were part of the larger factions. You could run Resistance ships with re- with Rebellion ships. You could run First Order ships with Imperial ships. Now there are six factions <laughs> that they've started introducing. So there's the, the Empire and the Rebellion. Then they added conversion kits for First Order and Resistance to actually split those off. And then they just added the prequel faction. So they added the Galactic Republic and they added the Separatist Alliance. And all of them play differently. All of them have a lot of unique flavor. So now we're looking at factions that have flavors that are similar to um, magic colors. Like, you know what blue is going to do most of the time. You know what blue is going to do. You know what green is going to do. You know what black is going to do. You know what white's going to do. You know what red's going to do. I mean, I know what blue is going to do. It's going to make it so I don't get to have fun. But, carry on. Not my fault. It's not. That's not my fault. Anyway, that was a... Shots fired, and that, we'll save that for a magic, a much more magic-centered <laughs> podcast. Um, so um, I think that's awesome. I mean, six factions seems like a lot until I realize that I play a, a magic a game magic with five sure. colors, which may as well. So I, the I get difference though is you're opening a booster pack, and you could very well pull every single color and, and multicolors from the same fifteen cards in a booster pack, right? Mm-hmm. True. With X-Wing, you're buying, there's, it's, there's no blind buy. You're buying very specific ships. So just to give you an idea, the last wave that came out introduced the Separatist Alliance and the, and the Galactic Republic. So on the Galactic Republic side, mm-hmm. they, re- they released Aether Sprites Jedi Starfighters. Um, you might recognize them. They're the ones that have like the, the hyperspace rings that they fly into and then detach from. Yeah. Um, as well as uh, Torrents, which are clone trooper ships usually. For the, Galact- for the Separatist Alliance, they released um, the Belbalob, which is General Grievous's ship, but Vulture Droids, um, which you might recall from the prequels, which are the ones that can stand, and then they can, like, take off and flip their things up and, and fly. Those are extremely cheap, but they work really well in concert together. Like, you, you need to have a swarm of them. So I bought, um, when, we were, when we were getting, you know, the, these ships together, so I bought one... Vulture droid separately because it comes with different pilots and, and tokens, and then I bought there was a, a squadron pack which they release sometimes which usually has three ships that had two different vulture droids and the Bell Blob. Okay. Um, and then I realized, all right, I want to put a squad together for the Separatist Alliance. I need a fourth vulture droid, so I bought a fourth vulture droid. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Uh, we have a bunch of Tie Fighters. Um, there are some ships where you're only going to want one of. My recommendation is if this is a game you're interested in. And you can read my the first three parts of my guide on Super Parent, which all which we will link to in the show notes. All of those we're talking about six thousand, no, four thousand, five thousand words of text at this point, right? Yep, it's about that, yeah. I and that's just the core set. Like there is a lot to do in the core set, and this is one of the things like Fantasy Flight typically with their core sets. You play a game with the pre with the pre constructed decks that are in the core set, and you get the feel like. Okay, I understand how the game works, but I really wish I could have like had a couple more of these really useful cards and not some of those cards. Which is why anybody who plays mm-hmm. a Fantasy Flight living card game tends to buy two or three core sets. 
So what you've got what you've got yeah. is is in this core set, you've got not only a really great sampling of how the game plays in a way that I think even elevates it above some of Fantasy Flight's other uh, core sets for products, but you've got um, a lot of different ways to play. And one of the things I really love about this game and why we're talking about it on Super Parent is it scales really well for young players. That's what we've. Re- that's what Mike's specialty at home has been. It has is he's been introducing core concepts to the kids, especially to little Vivian, because she doesn't really read yet. She mm-hmm. understands symbology and iconography, but she's still learning. Yeah. So the simplest version of the game is all you have to worry about is where your ships are, how they're going to move, and which number, the orange number on the card, mm-hmm. on the on the token. So you know who gets to move first after you plan, who gets to shoot first, and then you roll dice, right? There are, there are actions that every ship can take, focusing, evading, barrel rolling. We don't deal with that. We don't deal with asteroids. We don't, you know, objects in space, which, which have their own sets of complex rules. We don't deal with pilot stress, which is something on the, on each of the dials, there are three different colors and moves, blue, white, and red. Red moves stress you out and mean you can't take an action. You can't do another red move until you clear that stress with a blue move. We don't worry about any of that. It's literally just going through the steps. The planning phase, the movement phase, the engagement phase, do it all over again. And that's really easy. Then you add a couple of objects in space, like an asteroid, a debris field. You add the actions, and then you work that in. And after that, there are these quick build cards that come in the set now. There's also a full PDF um, on their site. So if you upgrade from 1.0... And what you do is you you, you pick a predetermined number of uh, danger, a danger or threat or something like that. So if I say we're going to play a game of six threat, so I can take my X-Wing and I can be like, all right, or I guess it's probably too much for, for the corset, so four, right? So I get to pick, you know, one X-Wing build with with um, upgrades that has six, six threat. And they tell you, like, this one is six threat. It's this pilot with these upgrades. Yeah. And then the TIE Fighter ones can say, all right, well, I'm going to take two three-threat or two two-threat um, TIE Fighters or one one and one three, and you can just and do those quick builds. So it's a very simple way. It's, it's like net decking that doesn't get you, a, get you a dirty look. That's true. And it's a way to start explaining the concept of building a squad together and building, building a squad, building upgrades. And once you've done that, and it's much more accessible than getting into a really hardcore yeah. tabletop war game like Warhammer, which is not for the faint of heart. And it is, you know, it requires parents that are really, really, really into the game. That's mm-hmm. the only reason why I got into Warhammer is because my dad was into it. Because otherwise I would have been screwed. I wouldn't wouldn't have been able to understand the game at, you know, 10, 11 years old or anything like that because it was just super, super complicated. The nice thing about X-Wing is that it gets these concepts of strategy, tactics, and tabletop wargaming in bite-sized elements. Mm-hmm. And again, it is it is just that. I mean, you're talking about on any one side in a full 200-point game, usually three to five ships. It can't be more than eight. That's uh, a lot of ships. You for, could you oh could goodness. technically. So I I read this. If you just ran. The cheapest version of Vulture Droids, you could do you could do ten ships because they're twenty points each. Oh but that goodness. breaks the rules. That breaks. It's, that does, yeah. yeah. Jeez. But you could do 
That's composition madness. Yeah, and that might actually be six vulture droids or eight vulture droids might be might be successful. I don't know. Oh my goodness. Um, That's a lot. So I won't go into like what sets all the factions apart. What I will say though, if this is a game you're interested in, um, let me just pull on Amazon right now what the core set costs. Because um, I want to be very sure that I give the right number. You can get, and this is the thing, and if you go to our guide. Guides. Guides. One of them, I think it's the first one, tells you, because there's different packaging for 1.0 versus 2.0. That'll be the first one. Yeah. So a core set is $32 for for 2.0. I mean, that's a relatively inexpensive way to buy into tabletop wargaming with Star Wars and cool ships. And it's, and it's frequently yes. on sale. Yes. So the retail on that's 40 You can get it on Amazon right now for 32 And you could wait, even if you don't want to purchase it on Amazon, if you wanted to wait for sales at Barnes & Noble, because they sell it at Barnes & Noble mm -hmm. as well. And I, Do they sell it at Target? Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't see it. I went uh, and some looked, of it. but I didn't see it one last I didn't see it at our it. Target. Yeah. But, yeah. When it is there, it is there. In, it's kind of infrequent. I don't know. It, but... I mean, it's definitely a Barnes and Noble. Well, it's always yeah. a Barnes um, and Noble for sure. The thing so, you have to watch out for at Barnes and Noble is they still have a bunch of of 1.0 stock, and you cannot use 1.0 ships in 2.0 unless you buy the conversion kits. And each faction conversion kit for the big factions, so for the Empire and the Rebellion, fifty dollars. Yeah, and that's you, expensive. And if you buy them for the First Order and uh, the Resistance, those are because there are fewer ships. They're thirty dollars. So the, the, the benefit of that is, and I'm, and I'm sure Fantasy Flight wouldn't love me saying this, is if you buy, if you have a bunch of 1.0 ships, or you, you had a bunch of 1.0 ships and you kind of fell off, and you don't know what you want to buy, you can proxy with, uh, with those conversion kits, which is probably why they're so expensive. Yeah. So let's say you don't have the right, like you don't have a tie advanced, but you have a regular tie fighter. You could just pop the, the token on it and just say, for this game... This is that. Um, you know, the thing with 2.0 is they are going to re-release every ship that was in 1.0, so there's no reason necessarily to rush out and be like, oh, well, I wanted this ship. This is my favorite Star Wars ship, and they haven't released it yet in 2.0. or It's not available in 2.0. Just wait. So, for instance, one of those for me is the Ghost from Rebels, which is coming out in Wave 5 that they just announced. Um, so I'm really excited about, about that ship finally becoming available. Um, there are other ships, again, from, from Star Wars extended universe stuff, so like the Houndstooth, um, you know, you've got Kyle Katarn's ship, um, as well the Moldy Crow. The... Amanda, he's speaking oh, English, no, he right? That's legit. He is okay. a huge... I just, I just wanted to he's clarify. He's a huge Star Wars fan. This is why he and well, my I just brother understood that he was trying... so well, because they'll just sit there and banter about Star Wars mm -hmm. for hours. I, I just heard him saying words and like it just I it stopped making sense and I just wanted now, to make he's, sure he's talking about Star Wars yep. universe stuff. So okay. there are also large ships and this is an important note. If you decide to get into the game, those large ship those models are, are absolutely gorgeous. The the very first worth painting, huh? They're worth painting. They are. I mean, they come fully painted, but they are totally worth updating and painting if you if that's if that's something you love to do. Um, the very first, the two first uh, ones that were released for 1.0 were the Millennium Falcon and Slave One. So obviously Han and Chewie's ship from the original trilogy, and uh, Boba Fett's ship from the original trilogy. Um, for 2.0, they released the Millennium Falcon. It's a scum and villainy ship, and it's 
Lando's Millennium Falcon. So it has the escape pod that comes out, which is a separate ship. Um, but they are re-releasing the Millennium Falcon, the Rebellion, or the, sorry, yeah, the, the Rebellion Millennium Falcon in Wave 4, or I think it's Wave 4. So if you missed it the first time out in 1.0 and you're just getting into the game now and you really want the original look for the Millennium Falcon, great. There's also Ray's Millennium Falcon that yeah. is available for... That's super cool. Yeah, and I have all three of them now, I believe. Yes, I of have course, all three of them. Of course you do. Sounds about that right. Tracks. Sounds about right. So, um, but I would steer away from those big ships as you're learning the game because they, ch they really change the way squad building works because you're building around those ships and maybe you'll have a couple of other small, weaker fighters around it. Um, but you really want to get a sense for how movement works with the smaller ships before you kind of start moving into building around those big ships. I'm not saying don't buy them because those models, again, are absolutely gorgeous. They're just a little harder to get to the table. Yeah, it's true. And especially when you go into the like the huge ships, because the biggest ship they ever released for X-Wing was the Tantee IV. So it's the uh, Corellian Corvette from the very first scene in Star oh, Wars. Oh, right. Got it. That was... So that was that was, was the very big, first one. It's a big, yeah. big ship. And it's on two large ship bases. So there's three ship. There's three base size. There's small, which is like the X-wing. There's um, medium, which is like the U-wing from Rogue One. Um, if you saw that, it's the one that kind of opens the 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 pieces. It looks like a U when it's flying, but then it can open up. And look like these long tail wings behind it. Right, yeah, I'm familiar um, with that one. They released, you know, in 1.0, they released, um, you know, Imperial shuttles. So the wings fold up. And that's the thing that they also added in 2.0. So now, like, an X-Wing S-foils can, can open and close. Yeah. Um, the articulation's kind of cool. Yeah. That adds that little... Yeah, why yeah, not? Yeah, well, that's that little element of, you know, interaction where you didn't think there would be. And, and there's actually a gameplay function like you can play without doing that you can just leave them open whatever but there are cards that are free that for like s foils where you can flip it between open and closed and it actually confers different abilities um and there's like th there's a lot of ships so if you watched the trailer for uh rise of skywalker um and i'm sure you've seen this ship that saw the ship in last jedi and i think force awakens so when ray is facing off against Kylo Ren and the ships flying at her. That's a Tie silencer. So that's coming in the next, uh, in the next wave as well. So they're really timing these ships around, around the promotions for the movies. Well, of course yeah. they are because you know Star because merchandising, merchandising, merchandising yep. didn't you know? Yeah. Um, yogurt, yogurt told us all about that. Merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. Um, merchandising. merchandising. Spaceballs. Can we be honest? Spaceballs to the quest for more. Why are they not? Why are they not making this? It writes itself. Because Mel is um, very, and very old. It's true. Yeah, it's okay. True. Yeah. It's fine. All he needs to do is sign off on... Yeah. What, like, St you know who else was really, really, really old? Stanley. Yeah. Um, and... Mm. I mean, I know. R.I.P. Um, but the... Uh, Mel Brooks is still doing theater. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It's true, um, he is. Which is harder... Which is most definitely harder than his what two weekends on a soundstage? Like this is twenty nineteen. Yeah. He, he could do, he could do voice work, and they could just do a CGI yogurt. I mean, and this is I mean totally not appropriate for not a family game. Seriously, <laughs> not even why are they not making? 
also, uh, how many like how many comedians can we name like rapid fire that would do it for free? Right. Yeah. Basically, right? Like how like Jack Black is is definitely barf the dog 2.0 at for zero dollars. Like <laughs> he would just you know like let him post the trailer on you his hear YouTube that, you hear channel that, Jack? and that's it. You're signed. He up, would man. do it for zero dollars. Tell me he wouldn't be in it. Tell me he wouldn't do oh, it. Oh, he totally would. You can't. So, um, anyway, uh, that's the, anytime I think about merchandising, I get right into that. Because, frankly, I watched Spaceballs before I watched Star Wars. So, most of my knowledge about, yeah, this is, we, we, I'll tell you guys this offline because every, my listeners have heard my, I didn't watch any of Star Wars until 2015 story a dozen times. Um, I'll tell you guys this offline. It actually makes total sense when you hear it. It's just the people listening to this have heard the story. Um... So, because um, I have literally told it everywhere that I go, because everyone is very surprised. Like, of all people, how did you not watch Star Wars? Anyway, so so that's X-Wing. So, just to give you, um, the, just, you know, a couple, just to cap off X-Wing, real quick. There yeah, is yeah, another yeah. collectible put a bow on it from, uh, from Fantasy Flight called Armada, which deals with big ships like Star Destroyers. I have not gotten into that. I understand that, that there are some mechanical similarities. But it's they are fundamentally they are different. Fundament- you can, they, right. they do not they do not mix. It is the it is the difference. Yeah. So again, if we're like likening this back to Warhammer, it's the difference between picking up um, Battlefleet Gothic versus playing Warhammer Fantasy. They're yeah. vastly, yeah. vastly, vastly, They're vastly different. different. Um, so so you got to be careful. Yeah. Is really what you're saying. When you're buying stuff, make sure that you buy. You either play Armada or you yeah. play X-wing. And we can't help you with Armada. Make your choices. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there are some <laughs> rabbit holes even I won't go down. So there's one of them. The rabbit hole. The other rabbit edges hole. Edges there, honey. There, there are some edges there. The uh, the other rabbit hole that I did go down, and there there was nothing new announced at Celebration. So I'm tending to believe this game is now probably if not over at least being paused for now if the ship battles of star wars are not your thing if you prefer the character driven moments there is another game and it is called imperial assault and it is mm-hmm. you have your character it's a it, there are two ways to play it uh it is a one versus many game so one person can control the empire and stormtroopers and ATSTs and um, and a lot of other um, iconic characters, and then there is um, then there is uh, the rebels. But you're playing your character is a no name. Like they have names, obviously, but they're not the iconic. You're not playing as Luke and Han and Chewie and Leia. However, you can recruit them as part of side side quest. So it's a campaign game. And you play over yeah. a series of, of there are main missions and there are side missions and they they alternate, and depending on which side missions you go on determines you know what upgrades you'll be able to able to get. It's super cool, um, and then what they did was they added an app for it as well. So that like, app is awesome. Yeah, like Mansions of Madness two point second edition, like Descent second edition, you can play it completely. As a co-op game with the app driving how the empire works, 
And there's the map tiles are really cool. They're like puzzle pieces. And there's also a one versus one skirmish game that comes in the box. So it's like two games in one. So if ship battles aren't your thing, Imperial Assault is great. Sure. All right. I dig it. Um, I mean, man, there's so many Star Wars things. I think Imperial Assault is also done because um, they haven't announced anything for that yeah, for yeah. a while. But here's the fun fact. Uh, the fact that it is done does not mean that there is not a ton of Imperial Assault there stuff are, out there. So if you have not played yeah, it no, yet... Yeah, there's, there's a ton. You, and you, you get can. a ton of play out of that core box. Um, the, core set, the, uh, the only thing about mm -hmm. those games, and Descent is like this, and Imperial Assault is like this, is in the core box, uh, which is a hundred. This is a hundred dollar game retail. You get uh, all of the player characters that come in the core set. You get Luke Skywalker and you get Darth Vader. But if you want to add more of the characters, um, there are you have to pay separate. They're separate. They're like thirteen dollar minis for the small ones. The ATST in the first set is twenty dollars. But in the first set, there's General Weiss, who is an Imperial uh, a general with an ATST. There's the Royal Guard champion in red. Uh, IG-88, who's a bounty hunter. Han Solo. Chewbacca. And then there's some Rebel Troopers uh, there. I think there's two in that box that's $18. There's Rebel Saboteurs. There's $16. And then they added Boba Fett and R2-D2 and C-3PO. And they went all the way through um, Rebels. Which is cool. So you can buy like Hera and Ezra and, and Kanan and Sabine and Sabine and Zeb and Ahsoka's in there, Palpatine's in there. Um, so yeah, there are just to to be clear, um, there are one, two, three big box expansions and three small box mm -hmm. expansions. And the big box expansions are completely self-contained games unto themselves. Um, I don't, I think you do need the base set, but they are like full new campaigns. These are like RPG campaigns in a box with miniatures and map tiles and everything. Yeah. Awesome. I dig it. I mean, there's just so much Star Wars stuff. This is a good, this is a great year for Star Wars. It really is. Um, it, not like Imperial Assault was this year, but I yeah. mean... It, it well, had a I good run. Reason, it had a good run. The reason Imperial Assault is over is because Fantasy Flight started doing Legion which is a traditional miniatures game where you do have yep. to assemble and paint your miniatures and um, the other the other game yeah. they've got some self-contained board games out if you are looking for something that is standalone and self-contained and doesn't have any major expansions uh, again if you like ship battles and that's the kind of strategy that you like but on a grander scale uh, I would recommend um, Star Wars Rebellion which is like the rebels are trying to blow up the Death Star and the Empire is trying to find the Rebel base and then coming very soon like this month I believe is Outer Rim which is mm, living the yes. life of a smuggler so Fantasy Flight has this license they've, they've taken the ball and run with it some of the things are great some of the things less great uh, but overall I really like what they've done with the license yeah, if if only video games went that's as well. A different um, that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, the, and trust me, that one's been podcasted about plenty. True. So so let's let's table the the X wing stuff. We'll have you back when more X wing stuff happens um, because I am interested to uh, kind of keep up on it. Also, you have to teach. Me I would how be glad to, play. to teach you. How and to if play. you can teach a six year old, 
If you, if you can teach a six-year-old, that means you I can teach me. I would throw you into the deep end. Um, I, I would throw you into the deep end with a full You throw me into the deep end? Yeah, that's great. I, I probably could. Um, I'd be terrible, but I could do it. Um, and I'll bring and teach you Gaslands, Ooh. because we can play it on the same board. Have you heard of Gaslands? Uh, I think so? All right, let me paint you a picture, sir. And then we'll move on. Gaslands is a miniatures combat game that is essentially X-Wing style stuff where you're putting down templates and moving stuff around, but it's twisted oh, metal. Oh, really? Um, and the figs, instead of buying pre-made models, because who this does that? Great. You use um, you use and customize your old matchbox cars. It's awesome. I will I play it. I just spent a bunch of your money. Um, so, um, well, and took up a bunch of room in your office. <laughs> um, all, well, on Amazon, all you will find are templates and a rulebook. The rulebook is like $12. Yeah, I'm looking at Gaslands post-apocalyptic um, vehicular combat. It's yep. $15. If you wait until September, cents. there's... If you wait until uh, September, there's a second edition. Okay. Um, but the, um, it is, so we, uh, yeah, we immediately went through a bunch of our um, Matchbox cars. So I'll, br I'll we will, we will play so you, a bunch of stuff on the same table. How do you customize them? How do you customize them? Like you. Oh, so we haven't done a lot of our customizing yet. However, this is what I did do. Uh, do you you have younger children around? Do you remember the Tonka trucks that were like kind of Thomas the Train, but they were like all the Tonkas that was like there was a dump truck and then there was like a race yeah. car and they had eyes. So what I did is I went to Once Upon a Child, which is a secondhand store, and I bought a giant bag of those all in that one line for six dollars. And what we are doing is I'm going to have my wife, who is more talented than I am, uh, put painter's tape over their eyes. And then I am going to paint them all matte black. And then I'm just going to get, like, wet red paint and just, like, whip it at them so it's got, like, blood splots all over them. That's how I'm going to do. And if that looks a little too creepy, then we're going to do uh, neon. We'll wipe that off and then just do neon so, green and make them look really So you aggressive. buy just, like, little plastic guns and stuff and glue them on and... Um, well, you, I'm sure, being that you have a Warhammer person in your house, I bet you that you have a box of bits. We don't. We don't. Not right now. My bits are in Canada, so I left them with my brother. Okay. It's not like they're in space. I mean, you can get bits. <laughs> I feel... Like, Maybe whether when you I get go them home from for a visit, I'll bring home some bits with me. Whether <laughs> you get them from her brother or you go on eBay, like you, you can, can get, get bits. bits on eBay. It's very you easy could... to get bits on eBay. This this also doesn't also, seem terribly expensive. It's well, that's one of the reasons why I like it is that you can use basically your garbage <laughs> and. So we can go right? through like, Indian's the... nonsense and be like, "Baby girl, we're taking all these." Yeah, pretty much. That welcome to Gaslands. Um, so. The other topic I wanted to talk about, uh, briefly, because we are, I know you guys have a hard out, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about War of the Spark. It's been fully spoiled. The whole set, um, is done this coming weekend, so those of you listening on Friday, tonight at midnight, and this weekend are the pre-releases, go figure War of the Spark, the Magic the Gathering set about a bunch of heroes fighting is the same, the pre-release is the same weekend as Avengers, um... That irony is not lost on me, um, although I'm sure it wasn't on purpose. Um, so the set is that it's coming out officially May third. Our preview um, and you know beginners evaluation, as it were, will be coming out um, sometime next week. 
um, including our favorite cards and also all sorts of stuff like that. But yesterday, Wizards of the Coast announced something that was super awesome. Um, something that they have never done before. Um, don't don't mind the, uh, the the scolding parent. We have children who are not going to bed. Um, so for those listening, it's it's challenging for all of us. So um, forgive me on that one. Um, the uh, so this one of the hallmarks of War of the Spark is that there are thirty six planeswalkers in the set, which is more than have ever been printed. Um, and one of the key components to that is they are not all mythic rares anymore. There are uncommons, rares, and mythic rares, which for those that are not super familiar with magic, basically that means there are really powerful planeswalkers, but there are also less powerful uh, planeswalkers that we will see lots of. Um, and they thought of very elegant ways to do that um, from a design perspective. We don't necessarily need to go into that, but these char- they're, they're characters. These are heroes, more or less. They're the mm-hmm. Avengers and the bad guys. Um, And what's really interesting is uh, they went, um, and to celebrate this kind of momentous set, which is ending a huge plot line that's been building up for a whole bunch of years. Sound very familiar, anybody? Mm -hmm. Um, They reached out to a bunch of Japanese artists um, and had them do alternate art for all 36 Planeswalkers. Now, when I say they reached out to Japanese artists, I'm not talking like just random people from Japan. They went and got well-known artists that worked on manga, that worked on you know anime, um, and specifically, um, they got the guy that does the key art, like the logos and like real crazy stuff for Final Fantasy. Um, I'm gonna say this man's name wrong, but it's Yoshitaka Amanu, Amano. correct? Amano. 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 Go figure. I get to the one part at the end. So he, if you don't know what his art style you is, just look. You which you probably, I mean, it, you. Here's the thing: you do know. You just don't know that you. It's know. true. Um, because if you've been following Final Fantasy ever, you have absolutely seen this per, this man's yes. art. You just don't recognize it. You may not know the name, and that's okay. Um, Google it. Uh, look up Final Fantasy Amano, and you will art see it. Book that Mike got me for Christmas a couple of years ago. That has all all of Amano's work on Final Fantasy, and it's yeah, it's, it's amazing, exquisite. I love flipping through it. It's been a while since I flipped through it. Maybe I should go do that tomorrow. But I love Amano's work. So they got him to do art for Liliana, who is arguably one of the main characters of the set. She's featured heavily in the Absolutely. trailer, um, and so it, she, like, without even I mean, I'm familiar with this art, so. I was flipping through, looking through some of the images, and I saw it, and I was like, no, wait. There's no way they... Oh, they did. So, um, if you're interested in what it looks like, um, I, we posted a gallery of all 36 images on the Facebook page. Go to engagefamilygaming.com slash Facebook, and you can see it. Um, and I really dig it. Um, the The big key here is these are only going to be available... There's a few ways that these will be available. Um, they'll be available in Japanese packs, Um that will be, uh, and they will replace the regular art 50% of the time in Japanese packs. They will be, and some people will be like, well, I don't live in Japan. What does that matter? They are actually distributing Japanese set boxes and packs worldwide um, for the duration of this distribution so that people have a chance. And also during the 2020 core set tournament run, which is basically this summer, they're, they give out packs to the tournament organizers that they can give out as prizes. Um, 
the the Japanese art, which will also be available in foil, by the oh, way, wow. um, will be um, which you open a foil Japanese art Liliana vest, you just open three hundred mm. bucks uh-huh. easily. Mm. Um, um, if you get that, sell it. Just do it. Um, it's um, or don't. I, would I guess. Frame it um, personally. Yeah. All right. Frame it's probably the right call. Um, and so they'll be in there as well. Um, they have never done anything like this before. Um, it's super fascinating that they're that they're doing it. It makes total sense um, because it, they're celebrating something big and they're highlighting these characters. What do you guys think? I mean, it's been such a long time since I've sat down and I've played Magic the Gathering outside of like Arena or Planeswalkers um, outside of like a digital medium, essentially. But I don't know. I might actually go pick up some boosters for the first time in 15 years. For which, for the Japanese here's, The good news is, some, the, here's the good news. Here's what's kind of, <laughs> well, here's what, so here's what I'll, here's what I will say. For those folks that are really more interested in just having these to frame them or, you know, put in, you know, like to, to have them, a lot of the, I mean, Liliana, unfortunately, that's a mythic rare. So that will be, very hard to come by but for example my favorite is a is a guy named teo who is an uncommon um so i suspect that he will be readily available so if you see some of the cards that you actually really enjoy um maybe you want to use them for commander or for casual play um a lot of these alternate art cards are absolutely going to be available they'll be sold on ebay and i would not expect that i mean they'll be more expensive but like a japanese uncommon a japanese alternate art uncommon will um will probably not be a hundred dollars right like we're not going to be it's not going to be insane so uh i mean maybe if you're looking for foil that might be Mm. nuts um but you know for those folks that are collectors um i've had a few folks you know reach out and be like is this the kind of thing that i should you know buy a bunch or try and collect the full set I mean, if you really want to be that guy, probably, because this is one of those things that if you can get all 36 of them, um, you'll be probably, you know, down the line someday. You might be able to sell that for something. Like, this is the speculative thing where it might be cool. You might pay for some college textbooks with a couple of these um, if you can manage to get them all. Um, But I don't know if it's worth buying tons of packs. Um, I mean, it all... But, I mean, unless you're going to play, unless you're going to play... Yeah, I mean, we... Also, you're an adult, so you can do it's whatever true. you want. It's true. I do but... have disposable income mm. for now. <laughs> yeah, but we. Ju- but I just told you about gas. Yeah, lands, and I don't even so know what like... I'm going to do about that. I mean, you and I have already talked about Gaslands, so. Yeah, we've ta- we've talked about Gaslands so... before. I had Amanda hooked on Gaslands before. It sounds I even told really you. cool. Um, it's true. It's it sounds dope. It's pretty cool. I think we're gonna have to do it, and I'm gonna have to like buy yeah. like. Well, you're talented. Pink sparkly I'm things not. or something, and yeah, destroy them without. Any Gaslands customization that I do will ultimately need to be done by the general because she's better than me at just about everything um, except Tetris 99. Or that's that's the exception. Everything else, she's better than me. Um, the She's looking at me funny. Um, I think I'm in trouble. Um, but the... Um, the it, what did I do? No, the children are in trouble. Oh, the children are in trouble. Our oldest, he's he's not going to have a great day tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, hey, parenting is hard. Parenting is hard. Um, thank you, thank you for 
handling that while I was working. Um, so the, it's, so the, I mean, these cards are just so cool, man. I, I think this is one of those things where, uh, I think maybe I will be keeping track of the market on it and I'll let you know how crazy things get. How about that? I, we, we go figure. We'll talk possibly about mm. these things. Um, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear our audience's thoughts. Like, what do you think? I mean, it, there are some folks that, that listens to play magic are, does this sound like a cool promotion? Do you wish they just sold the cards in like a collection? I, I kind of wish that I could have just bought. I, I kind of wish I could have just bought a deck or a box set that was just all like of them set? and just make me. Yeah, just let me uh, let me pay a hundred bucks for honestly, all thirty six or something like that. For those to just pop up in localized versions of the game, like I think it's great that they did these these wonderful artists, but. Limiting them to to that territory makes me a little sad. Aww. It does. With that with with that said, Yu-Gi-Oh does that like crazy. So I mean, if the business model exists, I mean, there are region specific sure. cards in that game. So, um, not that Magic really wants to turn into Yu-Gi-Oh because like you want to talk Yu-Gi-Oh's about power Konami. Let's talk about Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh boy! Oh man, listen. I tried to talk to them at Toy Fair, and my head exploded. I was like, I don't understand. I mean, Magic is kind of guilty of power creep. <laughs> I mean, if you want to look at a at a at a one mana creature now, and look at a one mana creature back in the day, yeah. it not is even comparable. Absolutely, not they, even they're comparable. they're not. Sure. It's um, I would look at some of the most powerful creatures that came out when I started playing Magic. And now they're maybe playable and limited. Well, but the thing is, there's like, also maybe. there's also keyword synergies that exist to help kind of oh, grab yeah, I mean, that a little bit. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, Magic has learned how to make yeah. cards. Like, there's power creep, but also they've learned how to yeah. make cards. And one of the ways they do that is rather than just making cards have to stand on their own, which is what they had to use to do, now they basically build decks and ship them out as part of the sets, like... You know, there's keywords in this new set that have a deck built pre like this is what you're yeah. gonna play, and it's just almost built for you 75 percent of the way. Well, I mean, that was part of their big the push 25. five years ago when they started being like, we need to get more people to the table, or the game's gonna die. Then this wasn't this wasn't magic was dying. This was just like we're gonna start seeing attrition if we don't start bringing in new players, which is where yeah. Friday Night Magic came mm-hmm. from, and. Which has been longer, way yeah. longer than five years. But um, so this set is really interesting to me because I came back into Magic during Lorwyn, which was when Planeswalkers okay. were very first announced, and there was one in each color, and it was a Johnny in white, it was uh, Garrick in green, it was Jason blue, yep. it was Chandra in red, and it was Liliana in black, and I do still have all five. So. And Ooh. Which one was it? Jace Bellerin was he the one from Morrowind? Uh, like that was their first name, or was it? Because it's not the Mind Sculptor. Uh, it's definitely not the Mind Sculptor. No, I don't think so. Let me see. You would have, you would have, you would have gotten rid of that by now. Jace Lorwyn. Jace Bell. Yeah, Jace Bellerin. It was just their first name and last name. Yeah, it was his first one. But Jace, yeah. Jace is who I built one of my mill decks around because. His plus ability is plus two, each player draws a card. Negative one, target player draws a card. Negative ten, target player puts the top 20 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Oh, yeah, he's a mess. He's but a mess. everybody um, knows you don't I let mean, Jace get to ten. I mean, 
I mean, you don't unless you can't help it. <laughs> you can often I mean, that's help the, it, though. That's the trick. I mean, Garrick, I mean, Garrick you know, speaker, right? Untap two target lands. This is plus one. Negative one. Put a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token into the battlefield. His negative four, now he starts with three. His negative four is creatures you control get plus three, plus three, and gain trample until the end of the turn. Yeah, so it's an overrun. Well, here's the thing, right? The trick with Planeswalkers is you don't, and this is normally the magic stuff we talk about is super high level for, you know, or targeted to beginners. But, like, for beginners, when you're building a, when you're using a Planeswalker, the reason that you, that Jace Bellerin specifically was not, like, I mean, he's good, but, like, you, is, is that, is that he's just bad? <laughs> um, like, Jace Bellerin is a bad Planeswalker, um, and part of that is because a good Planeswalker can defend yes. themselves, and he cannot. Oh. So, like, most Planeswalkers that, like, pass the test of are they good is that they can, like, kill a thing or create a thing to block for them or something like that. Anyway. No, but, but it was um, just my merfolk that drew fire because they were tapping and generating new merfolk and then milling and... Yeah, so you you played you played a deck that was like fundamentally unfun, and people beat you about the head and neck for it's it. I for get me. it. I mean, I mean, yeah. It's, well, all right. And as as I I, I understand, um, but as a fundamentally non-blue player, I can tell you. Um, I mean, I'm just saying that Liliana um, wasn't. Bad I, it's either. worth noting. It's worth noting. I have had a bunch of blue mages come through this podcast, and I mock all of them. Amanda has probably heard me talk about this. <laughs> Every blue mage that comes my way, I make jokes about it. It's just part of my life. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm excited about it. The set's coming out. It's you know, obviously we will once it comes out, we'll probably stop talking about magic for a little bit until core set comes mm -hmm. out, uh, which is this summer. Um, just because, you know, we'll, we'll have to take a little bit of a break from chatting your ear off. But even if you don't play Magic, which a lot of people don't, and that's okay, I would encourage you to go to the Facebook page. Because um, Amanda does not play Magic, but she appreciated the heck out of the art on those cards. I don't cards. play Magic anymore um, because, physically. I play Magic in Arena, and I play okay, well, Planeswalkers, is, you know, every year that it came I'm not, out. I'm not... I'm not. I'm not trying to tear you no, apart or cool. anything, but like magic is not like your jam. No, it's not like your number one no. thing. And you were able to appreciate the art Absolutely. on those cards because some of them, it's just super cool. I think it's really interesting to kind of see, like as you click through the the gallery, like when it changes artists, because mm -hmm. there are some that are like a group of three or four that are like one person, and then it moves completely differently. I just think it's really interesting. Um, and everybody's gonna have a favorite. We might be doing, um, well, we were going to do a March Madness tournament, but then Wizards decided to do it themselves. So I didn't get a chance to do that. Um, but I do have some, What one thing that will be interesting is our YouTube channel is going to be populated within the next handful of months. Um, we have uh, some lore hounds that, oh, are, awesome. uh, come, that have volunteered. Uh, we're going to be publishing to get people in on the story, because I think the story of Magic is the easiest way for casual players to really kind of mm. get in. Um, and appreciate it. Um, they're actually going to be doing a series of 90-second to two-minute videos where they talk about each Planeswalker and their history um, and how they turned into Planeswalkers. It's going to be nice, tight videos. Um, and we're going to do th 36 of them to start. Nice. Um, it's going to be a lot of filming. But that's <laughs> that's gonna a be, lot of hashtag these, content. This was, um, yeah, and it wasn't even originally my idea. They came to me. Um, and th well, they came to me because they were originally just going to do it and just give me the files. And then they realized that it's hard. 
And I was like, oh yeah, you should have, you should, before you started like trying to figure it out, you should have come to me because I could tell you a way to make it like a whole lot easier on That's you. That's awesome. And they're like, oh, okay. So, um, so yeah, we're going to be doing that so, soon. I mean, not tomorrow, but soon. So, um, given that this is Magic's 25th year, mm-hmm. um, I just want to, one of my very earliest experiences with Magic, because the game kind of started to really become popular more broadly when I was in high school, um, was a little microprose game for the PC. Oh. And. Yeah. That's such a good game. There were. Uh, it was. You started with six life. You got to pick your color. And you kind of wandered around, and your goal was to be able to to become the most powerful planeswalker. There were two expans- expansions that came out for it Spells of the Ancients and Duels of the Planeswalkers. Uh, it was. By, uh, Microprose uh, developed and published it. It came out in 1997. I and played was, the heck out of that in 1987, all, let me tell you. That was, all, that was a long yep. time ago. But now, I'm going to ask you a question, and we'll see who knows the answer to this. Do you know who the lead designer on that game was? No idea. Not off the top of my head, anyway. Steve? Okay, wait. You wouldn't ask unless it was something, like, super interesting. Super interesting. Um... Wait, I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to take a guess. Is it Cliff Blazinski? In 1997, was he born yet? Ooh. He, he's not that young. All right, who was it? All right, Microprose could have given it away. Because they were the original publishers of a series called Civilization. Sid oh. Meier was the lead designer Sid Meier. on the Magic the Gathering PC game that Microprose developed. Yeah, you're right. Okay. That's I was big. all thrown off. And you know That's what? Big, yeah. Cliff Blazinski isn't even the guy I was thinking about. I was thinking that it was one of the Doom guys. Because they were doing stuff back then. I don't know. I'm, one I, of, I'm one tired. One of the id guys? Yeah. They were pretty... Yeah. They were pretty into the FPS, it, though. That would have been on brand if one of them did it because they were bored and doing code. Maybe. <laughs> Yes. And just like accidentally <laughs> we made a accidentally game. Made I mean, a Magic the Gathering game, guys. <laughs> well, because I mean, you've you've listened. To, you, I mean, you've read Masters of Doom. Uh-huh. That would have absolutely been possible. Uh-huh. They just went on a bender and like ate some pizza and accidentally made a to Magic. Be, to game. be clear, though, Cliff that, is three years older than I am. He was born in 1975. So what are you? What 90, are you saying 90, that you're also that you're also super young? I'm also super young. Yeah. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah, um, yeah, sure. So I, I I said the wrong name. Give me a break. Oh, give me a no, break. You still, hey, look, if it makes you feel better, you still would have been wrong. It's, it's <laughs> true. I still would have been wrong. Um, wow. Oh, don't worry, I'm always wrong. On that note, folks, this has been episode 174 of Engage, a family gaming podcast. I do hope that you are. Um, I would hope that you enjoyed listening as much as the three of us enjoyed recording. Mike, this was a special treat. I get to actually hear your voice, what, maybe like three times well, this a was, year? This was a pleasure. For um, Thank you for having me. Um, absolutely. Anytime you want to talk, you want to get nerdy, um, you're certainly welcome to sit on the other side of Amanda's computer and put a microphone on. <laughs> um, so... Um, and Amanda, thank you for uh, booking our guest. I know it was a, it was a hard chore. to get in touch with him. It was a chore getting in touch with him. Uh, your people diva. had to get in touch with his people. He's yeah, such a definitely. Diva. His rider, his rider was complicated. Thank you for taking M&Ms. care of that. 
Only the brown M&Ms. So, um, so, folks, next week we'll be back for more video game action. Um, we're probably going to talk... Uh, I'm thinking... Um, we're probably not going to talk about Mortal Kombat. No. In fact, we are not <laughs> um, going to talk about Mortal Kombat. That is the thing we are not going to Wait, I can do. say it definitively. There's actually an article on the website that answers the question, is Mortal Kombat appropriate for children? If you want to see it... You should go read it. Go read it's it. It's a fantastic, and then at, deep article. <laughs> and... And then read the comments, the earnest comments from people who are very concerned that I really didn't know the answer to that question. You got um, caged. Um, I was like, oh man, Troll this is rough. But we will probably, we're probably, we're probably going to talk a little bit about Square Enix uh, taking the big boy spot at yeah, E3. Probably. Um, if they don't show Avengers, probably some I, other stuff. I quit. Mike's going to riot. They're definitely He's going to riot Avengers. in Jersey. I have, I have is there, friends at Square Enix. They will get is, the emails from me. Is there a world in which they don't show the Crystal Dynamics Avengers game? This is a tease for next week. Is there a world? I, okay, the only world is if it's not ready. We don't know. Like they have, but, they have like, a new studio but, in Bellevue, so I don't know. They have to say something. I would hope so. They have to say something. Sure, we'll get a cinematic. Tour. Um, you're such a um, no. I, interesting. I, 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 my my prediction right now. They they were smart sure, enough to it. keep it quiet last year, and they are following in the current trend of we're going to announce we're going to really show it when it's when it's close and it'll be out this year i think that's reasonable um how about this for a fun fact last year kingdom hearts 3 concert Mm -hmm. the day before their press conference this year final fantasy 7 concert right before their press conference oh you think the remake's still happening i don't know but that remake is at least but let live the dream that remake is now under new direction yeah they announced it already. Though. Sure. Yeah. I mean. Okay. Let's. To be wait. Anyway, that's that, for this next is this week. is all the middle of my closing. That's for next we'll week. talk about that I next guess week. Mike's Mike, you're welcome on the to come back. Podcast again next week. <laughs> um, Tila will be back. Oh, that's great. By the way, our um, my good friend Tila will be back. Um, she she's had a rough time of things these last uh, couple of uh, months, but she's back. She got a new computer, so she's going to be here to party. So, um, folks, thank you very much. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Um, I Here's my only favor. This is it. Um, like us on Facebook because we're on the march to 2000. We're not quite there yet, but so we're getting close. there. Um, so um, we want to get to 2000 as quickly as possible because then I can pick another arbitrary goal and start marching towards that. This is how social media works. So uh, if you don't like the Facebook page yet, like it. If you know someone that doesn't like it, for example... Uh, Mr. Mike Footer didn't like but the now I love until it until I mentioned it beforehand. So now he loves it. So thank you. Um, so until next time, folks, we will see you uh, on the other side. Don't forget to get your family game on. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Engage, a family gaming podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week.